It was 1505, and a very bright and uh, youthful man, some 27, 22 years old, with great intellectual gifts, was on his way to law school. He's going through the very thick, mysterious Saxony uh, forest. He had a very promising and, frankly, lucrative law career laid out in front of him, and uh, he had a problem. He was a very thoughtful man. In fact, I think in many ways he was a, a genius. And he was serious about thinking. And unfortunately, he also seemed to have a tender conscience. <laughs> and uh, remember, this is a time in the 1500s in Europe when the plague was just devastating. Thousands and thousands of people dying in city after city. And everybody in Europe was very keenly aware of their mortality. And also because of the way that the doctrines of the scriptures were being proclaimed, they were very much aware of God's holiness. And you know the story. On his way back to law school, he had a near-death encounter. Lightning struck so close that in his terror, this fearful Catholic youth blurted out a vow to St. Anna, Mary's mother. And you never want to break your vows to St. Anna, right? And he made a vow that he, if God would spare him, he would become a monk. And because he was a thoughtful and, and conscientious young person, even though this was probably a rash vow that we would have tried to have uh, said, oh, just kidding, Lord, he couldn't do that. Out of a sense of conviction, he went sold his law books, and went straight to the nearest Augustinian monastery. He was going to do whatever it took to save his immortal soul. Nothing else mattered. He was determined to find peace, God. So with all of his heart, he applied himself to the, the monastic rigors, the sleepless nights, the prayer meetings. If anyone was going to do it right, he was going to do it right. Every jot, every tittle. He drove his poor confessors mad, practically, because he was so conscious of his sin, he felt like he had to confess every sin right down to every nook and cranny. Every thought, every word, every motive had to be brought to light because he felt that if he just confessed his sins enough, somehow... That would be the key for him to find peace with God. But no matter what he did, no matter how conscientious he was in applying himself to the sacraments, to the monastic rigors, he could never lose that nagging sense of guilt. He knew he was not good enough to escape the righteous wrath of God. Soon these uh, intellectual gifts and spiritual zeal distinguished him, and they said, you know what? You should become a professor, a, a, a professor of theology. You should go and get your doctorate and, and teach. And so for the first time, this so-called super monk was given free access to the scriptures. Isn't that interesting? Even as a monk, you weren't allowed to read the Bible. But because he was going to become a professor of theology... They gave him access to the Bible. And of course, he consumes it 
voraciously. Why? Because he was pursuing that secret. He knew there was a key out there. There is a key to peace with God. And if anyone was determined to find it, he was going to find it. Thankfully for us, as he struggled to find peace with God, he bumped up against the passage we're going to see today. And this was the watershed. This was the turning point for this miserable Augustinian monk. And you know his name, Martin Luther. And having reflected on our text today out of Romans chapter 1, he said this, At last, by the mercy of God, meditating day and night, I gave heed to the context of the words. Here I felt like I was altogether born again. It was truly, to me, the gate paradise. The text we're going to look at today contains the explosive truths that liberated Martin Luther and eventually opened the gates of eternal life to millions upon millions of people. It was because of the recovery of the gospel of grace that Luther went from a quivering, self-flagellating monk to a fearless church reformer. Martin would defy popes and emperors, even upon pain of death, rather than to forsake the truths we're going to look at today. The truth we look at today completely shook the Holy Roman Empire, and it transformed the world, and we may not realize that today the world we live in is largely Martin Luther's world. It's the reason why we're here worshiping the way we do, and I believe and I pray that we could have a new, if you will, reformation in the sense to recapture these great truths that we unfortunately, I think, many times take for granted. I kind of chuckled. I ran across a quote from my dear friend and mentor, Dr. Kennedy. Dr. Kennedy made a comment. He said, you know, we shouldn't think too hard about the Jews. It took them 1,800 years to lose the doctrine of justification by faith. It took the Roman Catholics 1,500 years to lose the doctrine of justification by faith. But it's only taken the Protestants 500 years to lose it. God help us. Let's look at this essential message. Do you know it? Do you love it? So today I want to talk about the liberating gospel of grace. Why? Because only the gospel is powerful good news. Let's look at this great text in Romans 1 verse 16. For I am not ashamed. Can we say that together? I am not ashamed. That's my hope for us today. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation. See, Christ came to secure for us good news. I know before I was a Christian, I looked at church, I didn't see any good news. I was blind. I was lost. I, 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 didn't, I didn't hear of the goodness of God. All I thought of, oh, the church is rules and, and all the things I called fun, God called sin. And I, if I became a Christian, my life would be miserable. But that's not what Christ came to bring. He brought good news, euangelion. And it's not just good news. If, that, if anything's understated, it's that. It is the best news. It is the greatest story that this universe will ever hear. The truth of the good news 
in Martin's day had been buried and fossilized under 1,500 years of man-made traditions. The good news had been replaced by the bad news of try hard and we hope you make it religion. Martin Luther, this faithful Catholic monk, was not alone in the scandal uh, that he sensed in his heart when he looked upon the condition of the, the Catholic Church at that time. Of course, it had kind of come to its most corrupt head as they were now using uh, indulgences to go and sell forgiveness of sins so that you could go out and sin freely. Uh, also, using your own uh, sentiments against you because if you just gave enough money, you could get your mom out of purgatory a thousand years sooner all in an effort to build an elaborate church and to pay off the debts of princes. There's a long train of abuses long before indulgences were being sold by the church. And so here comes dutiful little Martin, who made the mistake of reading his Bible. Guess what? He couldn't find many of the things that he had been taught that were supposed to be true. Many of the things that the popes claimed for themselves, even many of the things that councils had proclaimed, and he determined, yeah, councils and popes can err. But what he did find was good news for a sin-weary soul. And this is revolutionary, and it's simple, and we've heard it a couple of times today, but we should never tire of hearing this, that our salvation... Our eternal fate is not determined by our good works, but by God's grace alone. Why? For the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Indeed, salvation is of the Lord, right? By grace, through faith, not by the will of men or by the efforts of men. This is revolutionary. It was absolutely contrary to every other religion in the world, including what had happened to the Roman Catholic Church. Every other religion says do. Do these works, do these rituals, attend to these sacraments, and maybe, just maybe, you might make it to heaven. Of course, you'll never know, really, will you? Until it's too late. The Catholic Church had invented a very elaborate system of salvation through the seven sacraments of the church. But the problem for Martin was he couldn't find it anywhere in the Bible. This started a crisis of conscience. No man-made system of work salvation can ever answer the two simplest questions that all of our hearts long to know. How can I know I'm right with God? How many good works do I have to do? Can you know? Just give me a, the standard. Nobody can answer that question. And, by the way, who's keeping score? How will I know if I get there? If you're in a works-based religion, wouldn't those be two important questions you would want to know? But every other world religion other than biblical Christianity is based upon that system. And then along comes the gospel. And the gospel doesn't say do. It says done. And I know that's a simple, simple thing for you to hear from me today. But if you can get that square 
in your heart, it will carry you through your times of temptation, when you've disappointed yourself, when you've fallen short, and, and when your conscience is even convicting you, you have to remember it is finished. Redemption is accomplished in Christ. Just believe on Christ and you can be saved. Humbly accept God's grace freely offered to you in His Son. See, Luther was the monk of monks. If anyone was going to give due religion a sincere effort, it would have been him. But i got to admit, even my due religion wasn't very sincere. And neither was yours. But if he couldn't escape his fear of death based upon applying himself to all the rules, neither can you. And he came up with this revolutionary view of the Scriptures, which is comfortable to what the truth is that had been lost for hundreds and hundreds of years. And this is probably too good to be true. A lot of people object to the Gospel. And by the way, if you're preaching the Gospel correctly, everyone's going to say, wait a minute, that's too good to be true. That's why it's called good news. It is true. And it has to be true. Why does it have to be true? Because only the Gospel imparts God's righteousness. Verse 17, For in it, in what? In the Gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And this is so important, and we take it for granted. The reason this must be true, is because the gospel, and only the gospel, solves man's greatest and most urgent problem. The Bible clearly and repeatedly declares that righteousness is not something that we can offer to God, but something which God must give to us. It is not the result of human works. It's an absolutely free gift. That's again why it's called good news. If our salvation was determined by anything that we could offer, let's say God gives us 99.999% grace, we just got to come up with one one hundredth of one percent of good works to offer to God. We couldn't do it. Because everything we touch has been tainted by sin. We are the fallen children of Adam. We will never love God perfectly. We will never love our neighbor perfectly. And no matter how small a contribution man might have to give to save himself, he could never offer even that. Yes, there may be things in our lives that people call good, and we should have good works, and appear to be righteous. But God doesn't just see our works, does he? He sees our motives. He sees our heart. Yes, you may not be as bad as the guy down the street. You may not beat your wife. You may not kick the dog. You may be generally a nice guy. But that's not the standard by which we're going to be judged. What is the standard? Jesus said, I'll tell you what the, the law and the prophets consist of. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And do it all to the glory of God out of love in conformity with His word. 
Anybody here want to say, oh, I've done that? No. Let's be honest. No one has ever perfectly loved and obeyed God and fulfilled God's will, save one. And we know His name. Who among us can say, like the sinless crystalline Christ, I always do those things which please the Father. John 8.29 Or, I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. John 5.10 Or, I have glorified You, Father, on earth, and I have finished the work You have given Me to do. John 17.4 And who among us dares ask this question of anybody? The same question Jesus asked of His accusers. Which of you convict me of sin? We see that in John 8.46. I don't know about you. Even my own heart would stand up and bear witness against me because I don't do what I know I ought to do. And the truth is, neither do you. No one does. So God, who is rich in mercy, must grant us His righteousness because we have none of our own. By His grace, He gives us credit for the sinless life of Christ. He gives us credit for the atoning death of His Son. Adam, just like everybody else, tried to cover his sin, right? When he was convicted of sin, he ran and tried to create an apron of fig leaves to hide behind in order to be able to flee from the presence of God in his shame. And so has mankind ever since. We've made up our humanistic aprons of good works, but they can never conceal our sin. By God's grace, we must simply but fully put our faith in what Christ has done for us, period. Period. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, we must trust in His mercy. Yes, by God's grace, we renounce our sin and especially our self-righteous religious spirit. By God's grace, we flee to God and rejoice in His rich mercies. And we receive that gift through faith and it's not of ourselves. So let me ask you, I know most of you here today have done that, but I don't want to presume that you have. You know today, in millions of ch- in, in churches all across America, there are millions of people who are sitting under the preaching of the gospel. And they're actually, the gospel is being preached. But they're not alive spiritually. They're religious. Have you been born again? Have you put your faith and trust in Christ? Or are you trusting in yourself? Trusting in your going to church, being charitable, being a good guy? Or are you trusting in Christ alone? My prayer today is that you would recover this great truth for yourself if you do not have it. Why? Because not only is the gospel necessary, the gospel has to be true, and it's the only good news. Why? Because it alone saves you from wrath. Notice verse 18. For the wrath of God... Nobody wants to talk about that today. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness 
suppress the truth. This is the terrible truth that plagued Martin Luther and any honest person. We know too much. We know that God is there. He had such a bright mind and and a a tender conscience. Maybe he had more difficulty suppressing that truth than, than the next guy. But he knew too much and you know too much. So he sincerely set out to save his immortal soul because he was under the conviction of sin. It's only the logical thing to do. If we were rational and sane and we understand that all of eternity lies before us, we would be very serious about our soul. But look at our culture. They do everything they can to distract themselves to keep from thinking about their own mortality. They suppress the truth in unrighteousness. But you... And I and everybody else, we know too much. We once pretended not to know. We once, I know what I did, I just fled from God. I tried to keep myself busy and occupied and distracted and medicated. Anything but be alone with my thoughts, be alone and think of my own mortality. It's interesting. I did have an epiphany once. Uh, while I was using drugs, I realized, and I believe this was God speaking to me, wow, all I'm doing is basically a slow form of suicide. I'm killing myself. I had that epiphany, and it wasn't but a few weeks later that I found myself in church on my face, repenting of my son. God was drawing me. But I knew the truth, and you know the truth. We are without excuse, the Bible tells us, because God has revealed himself to everyone. And how many times does God owe us his revelation? God's word is uh, revealed to us in our heart. The Bible says it's written on our heart. I believe, I can't prove this, I think it's embedded in our DNA. You know, we're nothing but a bunch of information, right? And God is the word. I believe God's law is written in our DNA. It's written in our heart, the Bible says. It is written in creation. Every sunrise is a sermon. Every time you look at the moon, the Bible is de- tells us that the, the glories of God are being declared. Every, every time we look up, we have no excuse because God is speaking to us, and we know that. And apart from God's grace, we were suppressing that truth in unrighteousness. Of course, thank God we have God's Word written in the Scriptures. All of God's revelation hang together. What's written on our heart, what we see in creation, what's revealed in Scripture, and what is ultimately, fully, and finally personified in the Word of God made flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ. It all hangs together and it all bears witness that we need a righteousness that's not ours. We need a righteousness that is alien, an outside righteousness imputed to us because... We are under the wrath of God. This is the reality that we live in. But so many of us, we spent our lives pretending that we were not doomed. We tried to rationalize away the wrath of God or deny it altogether or at least justify that we're not as bad as the next guy. But we know it. It was all subterfuge. It was all pretense. We know for God to be God, He has to be just. An unjust God is not a God. That's a devil. 
So we know God was there. And we know He is just. And we know we were born children of Adam deserving of wrath. Born with enmity in our heart towards God. And we know it's inescapable. That's why the Gospel must be true. And is true. Or else we are all still in our sin. And we're still under judgment. Where else are you going to go to get righteousness? To be able to stand before a holy God. There's only one place. No other religion dares to offer you a Savior. You think Mohammed's going to save anybody? You think Buddha's going to save anybody? No, only Christianity stands and says there is one Savior of the world. One who is the desire of all nations. And His name is Jesus Christ. And in Him we find righteousness and peace with God. No amount of good works, no sacrifice you make, no charitable acts that you render can remove the guilt and stain of sin. And yet that's all that's being offered outside of Christ. So God solved the problem of our sin and His justice in His own Son. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. Why? Because we were already condemned. But in order that the world might be saved through Him, whoever believes in Him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. Every other religion says it's up to you, it's up to you, try hard, try hard. And the Bible comes and sets us free from all of that and says it's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works. So that no man can boast. Aren't you glad there's not going to be a bunch of proud, self-righteous people in heaven? The only people that are going to be in heaven are those who are on their face before the Lamb of God, worshiping Him because they know they had no right to be there except His grace and mercy. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So what does all this mean? The gospel liberates us. The gospel has to be true. It is true. There comes with that gospel some obligations. We read of them in verse 14 through 16. Notice before Paul gives us this great truth that Martin Luther recovered for us and liberated Martin Luther, Paul writes these words, I am under obligation both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are also who are in Rome, for I am not ashamed. The gospel of grace brings eternal life and spiritual transformation to all who believe. And like Luther, the Apostle Paul had been liberated out of religion. He was the Pharisee of Pharisees, right? He was in the do, do, try hard religion. And God set him free. And because of that, he felt 
an obligation. See, when God comes and sets you free, He changes you, right? Before you were a Christian, did you care about other people's souls? No. You didn't even care about your own soul. You were so blind and lost. Now God comes and He saves you and He quickens you and now you're alive. And with that, frankly, comes an obligation, becomes a a bit of a burden. Now we know even more. We've been transformed. A metamorphosis has has changed us. We have our life now hidden in Jesus Christ. And now we love God. Before we couldn't love God. And we love our neighbor. And if we love our neighbor, what do we want? We want to see them come to faith. What could be more loving than to proffer the gospel to our neighbor who is doomed and under the wrath of God? Every Christian wants to see every tongue confess, every knee bow and give glory to Christ. That's our heart. We ache to see our Lord receive the glory for which He is worthy. So let me encourage us today to be mindful of this truth. I know you hear this repeatedly, but if God forbid, never let the good news become the old news. We need to, we need to touch this and we need to feel it and we need to be broken over this truth we need like Jesus remember when he looked at Jerusalem he wept because he saw it as a city that had no shepherd no shepherd for their immortal souls see it's hard for us because I, I let's be honest this is not comfortable I'd like to pretend heaven and hell are not eternal realities in a certain respect. Because if I really believe that, then I'm going to see everything different. My neighbor, my children, my country, the world, the nations of the world. Do we really believe this gospel? Do we really believe or are we ashamed Do we take for granted what costs God the Father so much? Do we take for granted the blood of Christ shed on Calvary's cross? This is really a simple message, but it's one the world doesn't want to hear. It just come to Christ. People even joke about it. Oh, you know, we're going to have a come to Jesus meeting. Oh yeah, you better. You better come to Jesus and deal with with your sin and repent because it's only by grace alone through faith alone that anyone will ever be saved and ever has been saved and God has given us stewardship of that message and as I said there are millions sitting in church today even hearing the gospel that are not saved I pray that's not you one of the reasons why I'm so stirred up about this Last week, I was I had the privilege of being able to go to Germany. And um, last Lord's Day, I'm in Berlin. So what do I want to... I want to go to church somewhere. Well, where can I go? Well, I went to the Berlin Cathedral. Remember, Lutheranism is the national church. It's a Lutheran cathedral. And you can imagine, you go to a Lutheran cathedral in the capital city of Germany... Who do you think they have preaching? It's probably their best, right? They've got their best and their brightest leading in that way. So I went hoping, praying to hear some good news. And guess what? I did not hear. 
here in the heart of the Reformation, in the heart of a church that bears Luther's name, I heard a very nice religious moralistic sermon. We should all be more just. I have a problem. I can't be that guy. I need a savior. <laughs> I need because in my flesh I am unjust <laughs> and I'm unrighteous. And I went away brokenhearted. Unfortunately, I would say even in America, there's a lot of churches now. We don't preach the gospel anymore. We preach moralism. We preach try-hard religion. We don't preach the sufficiency and necessity of Christ and Him alone. But we have been given stewardship of that message. I think Martin Luther would be brokenhearted if he went back to his Germany after all he sacrificed and everything he did to bring the gospel to them to see where they are. Are we brokenhearted over the things that we see today? May God stir our hearts and make us unashamed. So today as we conclude, let me ask you, do you know for certain that if you were to die tonight, you would go to heaven? Do you know you can know that? I saw since I've been here, our friend Richard passed, and uh, I saw the verse that was on the front. For by grace we are saved through faith. And that not of ourselves, it is the gift of God. He understood the gospel. And guess what? We're not far behind him. I pray if you don't know Christ today, that you would flee to him and find his mercy and grace. And as we look at our families, we pray that God would give us his heart for them and that we would be promiscuous this week as we share the gospel. Pray for divine appointments. Pray for opportunities. Pray for holy boldness and that God the Holy Spirit would help us feel the obligation, the the glorious obligation, if you will, the glorious privilege that He has given us to be ambassadors of this great, liberating gospel of grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for what You've done for us in Christ. Thank You that when the gospel has been lost, You've recovered it. And Father, thank You that by Your grace, I found Your Son, the Lord Jesus Savior of my soul. And Lord, I thank you on behalf of all of us here, Lord, who know you. And Lord, we pray that this would become more and more real to us, even especially as we get older and as we realize the opportunities to witness, the opportunities to bear witness are fewer. Grant us of your Holy Spirit the power and the boldness to be fearless and eager witnesses of Christ and his gospel. And we repent of spiritual cowardice and ask you to make us unashamed of the gospel. For it alone is the power of God and a salvation to all who believe. Amen.